Hi, and welcome to the Female Health Podcast. My name is Mary Jo McGuire, owner of MJ Nutrition. I have a degree and master's in nutritional science, and I'm studying to be a nutritional therapist also. I work with women every day who want to lose weight, improve their relationship with food, hack their hormones, regulate their cycle, restore their periods, learn about nutrition for hormonal balance, help women come off the pill, and lots more. This podcast will be a place to talk about all things female health related, from periods, the pill, weight loss, diets, fertility, acne, PMS, and lots, lots more. I hope this platform to be educational and empowering so women can take charge of their health, their hormones, so they can feel and look their best at all stages. Hello and welcome to the Female Health Podcast uh, and I'm back today with another episode and I have a really great guest for you guys. Um, so I have Stephen Dallas, uh, he is a coach, he's actually working with Shane Walsh Fitness but he also is uh, has his own coaching business himself and he works um, a lot with clients around the topic of emotional, emotional dysregulation, uh, binge eating and that kind of area which is huge and massively important um so that's one area we might touch on today but actually um today one of the main areas we're actually going to concentrate on or have it or firstly start off with is the thyroid so a lot of you um, my clients come to me with thyroid issues um and it's quite common to see both pcos and thyroid issues come together uh, so it's it's a big one um but i really just want to um have a bit more of a discussion of this because there's very few episodes I've done so far that are about the thyroid. So firstly, um, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on. Welcome to the podcast. Um, how are you? <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely wonderful. It's sunny out. And I think there's nothing better than having a bit of sun. Now, as long as there's no snow. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm actually, I don't know, you know, I'm in Portugal at the moment, but I'm talking to everyone at Ireland, in Ireland and they're just like, it's gorgeous outside. I'm like, yeah, I'm so happy for you. It does make such a difference to everyone's mood though. Like, <laughs> It's insane because like yeah. for the month of December, I went to go visit my folks in Thailand and yes. okay, Thailand's amazing, but it's just sun and waking up and then just that like vitalization and just the whole different sense it's ah and you wake up here and then you go are we gonna have a great year are we actually gonna get sun this year i know like like, what do i have to do for the gods to give me you know a week of sun I know it's just i i've been here nearly a year now i've been here in a year in the first of april and I just, I just don't know if I can go back to a country that I can not guaranteed sun. I just love waking up and it's like, yeah, it's sunny. I just, it just makes me so happy. I know. I know. Yeah. It was the same when I was climbing on the plane. I was just like, I don't want to leave. And I was just yeah. like, legally, I have to. <laughs> anyway, I got fine because I overstayed by three days. Oh, what? Oh, my God. Okay, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> we might talk about that later <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be easier like if we jump into thyroid since I know like a lot of people do suffer with thyroid dysfunctions or yeah. any aspects of that so it's like 
let's break it nice, nice and simple. So it's, it's trying to understand it. It's the thyroid is located in the front of the neck. Now, the easier way to do it, you can actually feel it kind of there with Adam's apple is there's a small little part just below it. So you can kind of move your fingers over and feel this like the way I like to say it. It's like a kind of squishy little kind of butterfly. It doesn't really look like a butterfly, but yeah, you know, you yeah. know when, when we name things, especially when it comes to the body, I often think people are looking through thick ass glasses because I'm like, you know, yeah, hypothalamus is made to look like a horseshoe. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, come on. So this small organ, right, which basically sits there, monitors and controls many different parts, and that many parts include the endocrine system. So and that reaches pretty much the whole body. And when I mean it, the whole body, I mean it actually is the whole body. So now the thyroid produces hormones. Right. So if you want to think about it, these hormones regulate uh, respiration, body temperature. We often see like when it comes to birth, like brain development, we often see regulation of cholesterol. We see circulatory systems. If you want to think about the pushing of, you know, oxygen through the body, we also see the nervous system. We have touches in the menstrual cycle. We also see mineral levels. We see metabolization of fat as well as carbs. So it's like yeah. it has a play in so many things that people often forget about that. So it's like these functions, right, are primary moderated within the hypothalamus. So that, that, that brain region is one yeah. of the central regions for hormone production in the body. So if you want to think about it, stress links to the hypothalamus as well. Yeah. So it's like, we've also got to think how that plays in. So it's like that area is in charge of not only hormone release, but also physiological cycles. So think about it, your wake sleep cycle. Yeah. So it's like, you kind of don't want to mess that up. But one of those key aspects from the hypothalamus is the release of T3 and T4. So these are basically two hormones that the thyroid works and works with all right and these impact a number of processes within the body now what we end up seeing is that we can see disorders with thyroid so we can see something like Hashimoto's disease we can see you know overt hypothyroidism we can see clinical or subclinical hypothyroidism we see hyperthyroidism so if you want to recognize the difference you know the hyper overactive hypo underactive and we can see different not only different symptoms from it, but also different aspects that occur from it. So in terms of how it's produced and what it comes from there. So now I know one of the biggest, biggest ones is everyone's like, okay, I'm hypothyroid, right? So it means that I have an underactive thyroid. Can I truly lose weight? And I think that's always the, that's always the biggest question when it comes to jam pop. Yeah. So I'm going to answer it but we're going to give you a bit more in depth to it. So in this sense, yeah, I'm not going to yeah. outright say because everyone always just like they get the answer and then they're like, oh, I'm going to switch off. So let's give you a little bit of a background. So hypothyroidism. So otherwise known as an underactive thyroid. All right. So what we see is a decreased stimulation. So like a decreased stimulation in the sense that we don't see the same levels within the body. Right. So what ends up happening is that when we have these decreased stimulation the hormonal levels are insufficient and we see uh, we see lowered overall metabolism and then we can also see a little maybe a little bit of weight gain wink wink as well as fatigue yeah so when we're looking at this we need to account for the lower metabolic rate that is often induced by hypothyroidism so how do we how do we say how do we combat that or more should say 
what can we do? So now when we look at it, we can see further symptoms that occur from thyroid or should say thyroid dysfunction or hypothyroidism. And one of those is actually going to be a response to blood glucose levels. So that's an interesting one there. So everyone's going like, okay, tell me a bit more. So what ends up happening is that we see that insulin levels remain lower than normal. So compared to a normal person, we see that they're often a normal person have a little bit of a higher base of insulin that's reduced or should I say produced when we have either say carbs or protein in the diet, right? What we end up seeing then is the body's ability when you're hypothyroid to create glucose and kind of kind of shuffle it away out of the blood is often diminished, right? So that means that when we're hypothyroid, we have inhibited, sometimes reduced glucose regulations, right? So what that means for the person is that we often need to think about maybe a reduced carb intake. Everyone goes, oh, keto, Uh, stop right there pull it back just a little bit and go, no, that is not where we go. What we're effectively trying to say is the fact that since your response to insulin might be lowered, and when we say might, not everyone does actually show, you know, heightened, lowered insulin response, but some do. What we're looking at is carbs that are higher on the glycemic index are often discouraged, yeah. right? Because then we often see such a massive spike and because you're not that great at using all the carbs and the insulin is not coming in to take everything away, yeah. you kind of want to not push the boundaries. So that means that we look at more things like a lower GI. We look at going, right, can we exercise? And when I say exercise, that means like a walk in and around a meal. So that way we can just help regulate that process. So it's like when we look at it as a whole, we can go, right, we can see there's going to be a little bit of a change in the regulation of glucose. Does that mean that we need to change everything in our life? No. Does that mean we can just take simple approaches and go, right, I'm going to look at this and go, instead of trying to go, I'm going to eat all of a chocolate bar in one sitting, we can go, right, can we bring in some fruits along with our meal? Can we look at things that are easier to do and maintain? So it's like, right, what carbs could we bring? You can bring in any form of like couscous. You can bring in multigrains in there, you know, your lentils, things that we know that are going to help not only fill you, but also ensure that because you're hypothyroid, you're not going to be causing issues in the long term. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's the simple part of it. I'll, I think that's since really, yeah, really helpful just to cut through. I think that's really, really helpful, straightforward advice. And as you said, it's not massively different than what the general population with or without thyroid issues should be doing anyway. Blood sugar regulation is kind of a, you know, a, a, what we should all be kind of adhering to. So protein and carb pairing and, you know, maybe just slightly lowering your um your high glycemic carbs and just going for more whole grain um less refined ones and like it's a pretty simple switch to make uh without dramatically going down keto route cutting out sweets altogether um so i think thank you so much that really helps to um you know it explains the reasons why we need to do it and the practical steps to actually do it as well like something like a walk really good for like insulin sensitizing um you know helps um support that insulin sensitivity and um, helps with movement helps with digestion in between meals all of that so so many benefits so really really good straightforward simple advice there i think for anyone who ha- is struggling with an underactive thyroid and weight loss and or wants to try to support weight loss so thank you for that i would also kind of 
tip in and say that often those with hyperthyroidism, until you truly get diagnosed with it, you're going to be noticing these ups and downs. And it's like when you get medicated, a lot of that starts to dissipate. Yeah. Now, obviously, I would say everyone, please, uh, if your doctor hasn't told you, do it regularly. I go and get your bloods done, you know, every four to six months just to see where you're at, because you might need to be bumping things up or you could lower down depending on how you as a person do. And also, if you are a medication, for some reason, I've had clients, I'm sure you've had clients come to you. When do I take my medication? Yeah. Do it the same time. Yeah. Try not to do it at random times, but also like take it before breakfast is often the easiest thing to do. It's like if you've got about a roughly depends on obviously the brand you have, but we talk an absorption usually comes from about 60 to 90 minutes. Usually we often say two hours as we give the window of opportunity to say like we sufficiently know it's gone into the system. We know it's been activated. We know it's been taken and used, but it's like, if a two hour window is a little bit too much of a push for you, keep to an hour window when you wake up and go, cool, I can wait till I get to work and have my breakfast and then you'll be fine. So it's just, yeah. it's something that I always end up here and then I'm going, right, put it out there. This is make it simple for everybody on that one. Yeah, really good. Really, really good advice there as well. Um, okay, so I think we've kind of covered the question about weight loss, thyroid issues, uh, you know, and it's definitely possible. You know, yes. you may, it's definitely possible and uh, just needs maybe some different, um, yeah, and just, I suppose, uh, the advice you give is really, really good and helpful. And I think that's the kind of approach I would give as well. Um, so you touched on earlier the, uh, you mentioned Hashimoto's, um, so, which is like the autoimmune kind of um, thyroid condition. What's your, have, do you, would you done much research study uh, would you, knowledge on this topic? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, purely for the fact that I actually have a friend. It's how I got into all this thyroid. So I'll give you a bit of background. Um, I had a friend come to me the one time she was having a lot of issues up and down and everything. And she was just like, I need help. And I'm like, okay what's the problem <laughs> and it's just down i have Hashimoto's and i'm like oh okay and i'm like i'm trying to think now going i have spent some time reading random things because i do like that but and then i'm just like right that's when like effectively it fights each other and she was like yeah in in a basics so, so like the idea to kind of explain Hashimoto's to be everyone it's an autoimmune, autoimmune disease, right? And it's the destruction of the thyroid thanks to lymphocyte infiltrations, right? So effectively to make it the most simplistic way of viewing this is think about the idea of the body trying to kill its own organ. That's the quickest and easiest way to understand that. So it's like what effectively doing is that if the body is trying to kill its own organ, not only is it making the organ itself work harder to try and overcome this but it's also degrading itself in the process so it's something that over time it's really not something that you want to be going through so we see antibodies attacking each other you know and like we often see that there's genetic factors involved we also do see environmental factors as well that can also kind of provoke the immune system to attack um effectively the thyroid right so dealing with it i think in this it's we will see from a clinical standpoint they either try to give you t4 or they try to give you t3 depends where you're at and they kind of modulate between that now when it comes to diet 
right? And I think this is always the interesting one because like, I'm still 50-50 about this, right? And the, the idea of why I say I'm still 50-50 about this is we often see the, you know, termed anti-inflammatory diet, right? So it's like, okay, cool. So we want to be looking at a diet that doesn't increase inflammation. So that way there's not a lot of, how do we say, attacking going on the thyroid. Now, the issue is how we classify inflammatory foods is still really up in the air. Like you will see lists and lists on the internet going tomatoes, you know, celery, mushrooms, blueberries, anything and everything can have some form of inflammatory in somewhere or not, depending on how you run the study. And this is why I'm like, so the, the premise behind it which I think if you follow the premise, which is in trying to ensure that if you can understand things, or should I say, if you can find foods that make you feel better and you can find foods that make you feel a little bit worse Mm -hmm. and say that you go, hey, every time I eat 10 tomatoes, I feel a flare up, I feel symptoms. So you can go, right, maybe 10 tomatoes is not where I need to be. If I try fresh tomatoes, where would fresh tomatoes be? Yeah. You can also take it from a different perspective, right? And then go say, maybe I can eliminate some of these things. Yeah. And then we can build it back in time. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's, that's the key when we do any form of that. It's, it's not to keep it out. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, I agree. Like I, I just want to jump in there just for listeners. I actually have experience with this from my personal point of view. I had Graves' disease, which is the other kind of autoimmune thyroid condition, which kind of tends to give more hyperactive symptoms. Um, so again, studying nutrition, I went down a rabbit hole of all these things I needed to do diet-wise. And um, because I funnily enough, the medication that I was on didn't work for me so I was put on medication but what it did was depleted my white blood cell count so much which is a side effect which only a small people few people get but I got it so I had to come off the medication uh, and the next option for me was to remove my thyroid which I really did not want to do at age 27. So I um, went down the route of really like going into every possible like elimination diet. So I did, I cut out gluten and I cut out dairy. Now I am not going to say that they worked. I really don't know because other things in my life massively changed. Stress, stress was huge for me. And during that time when I got diagnosed with it, there was a number of things going on in my life. There was, um, relationships that weren't good for me work that did not agree with me I was working in a corporate setting which was just not and I was also doing a master's so on a huge a huge commute every day so these were massive life things that definitely triggered stress in me so these reduced I cut all these out I quit working I to to literally look after myself and I moved home and I just uh, spent all my time trying to get better a lot of people don't have that I guess privilege I was really really lucky to be able to do that but I guess what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way is that I can't say that the elimination of gluten and or dairy was the reason why I my thyroid markers started to improve there was other things I did I reduced my stress I did different types of exercise and I, I managed my blood sugars all of that kind of stuff so um 
I eat gluten and dairy now. I don't cut them out, basically. I can eat them and I don't have a thyroid issue anymore. Now I do have to mind it. You know, I'm always wary, but one of my main things is stress management. I just know, like when I'm stressed, I can feel it. I can just feel I'm not grounded. And that reminds me of that's how I felt when I had the overactive thyroid. So that just for anyone, like you don't need to eliminate these foods forever, one, and two, it may not be the actual foods that are actually causing the issue. Look for lifestyle. It's a huge, huge area. Yeah. And it's a, you touched on that a lot. And I think it's people forget that. Remember back to when we first started this and I was like, the hypothalamus that controls the release of T4 and T3, but it also releases the ability for the stress, right? And when I say that is because the HPA, so hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenal access, right? It's you can it's easier broke down into a three-step process right something sends basically a messenger somewhere into the brain and that messenger runs down the road and gives it to its end destination which releases the hormone right so it's like stress and thyroid go hand in hand if you are overstressed your thyroid production goes down so it's like we can see a lot of this play out and it's like one of those things when it comes to dealing with autoimmune diseases as a whole is actually recognizing stress as one of the biggest contributors to the disease being so vicious. Yes, vicious. So it's like when it comes to the thyroid, so the Hashimoto's and as we use had with Graves, it's, it's recognizing that you've got to look at stress and then go, right, what's the impact here? How do I change my environment and how can that environment then change me? And I think it's a lot of interesting aspects of that because our first thing is a quick fix. It's gluten, it's dairy, but it's like, what about that work job that pushes you over the edge? It's like, we've both been there. I'm like, I used to do tech support. And I was like, that used to be joys. And I climbed the corporate world to be doing that and going, I hate this. And I was just like, my health would suffer. And it's like, but we're very quick to look and go, right, we need to eliminate something and go, right, maybe it's instead of eliminating food, we look and go, right, how can we limit the amount of stresses we deal with? Because we know the positive impact on our thyroid. So in like, and this doesn't just mean for Hashimoto's and Graves, it means for thyroid as a whole. Yeah. And that's the key. So it's like environmental impact does make a big difference, but then we can also then extend environmental impact into the fact of like, we see people with thyroid issues in general have lower selenium, lower potassium. We often see lower iodine copper magnesium zinc pretty much we can say everything in some capacity and the reason behind that obviously soil quality does go down what we feed the soil goes down and i don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole on that one but it's recognizing that when you start looking at things more holistically and from a kind of bird's eye view of your diet you can start recognizing okay cool when you start like regulating stress and go right okay now start looking at what my glucose levels going we got right now where's the next step where deficiency so it's like if you get your bloods done and you go right actually i am iron deficient we know that that's also going to be an issue for thyroid yeah yeah we can go cool now we now we fix that and we go oh look majority of the western world is selenium deficient so we can go cool let me add three brazil nuts and we go hold on a second 
you start like kind of backtracking to that and start recognizing that when it comes to fat intake for thyroid, our standard approach is usually polyunsaturated and monounsaturated fats while limiting saturated fats, right? So then we start looking in and go, hmm, unsaturated fats are often easier to digest. We can get a quicker source of energy. So then we can start looking and go like, we don't want to be taking too much saturated fats, but we can go, right, we, we kind of want to work on unsaturated fat region. And the reason behind that, it improves uh, TSH, so thyroid stimulating hormone. So we obviously want a good amount so that the hormones can be released. So we can go, right, cool. Now we know from a point we've controlled blood glucose, we know selenium deficient is going to be a problem. Yeah. We go, there's the Brazil nuts. Now we're covering the good fat part. So yeah. it's a, it was a simple tweak. Yeah. We, didn't, we didn't have to go crazy overboard. We didn't have to go, oh, crap, you know, I need to change yeah. everything. It was just great. I just had a snack and I've now sorted what I needed for the day. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. Um, it's funny, like that was one for me, like, like you say, the quick fixes, I was looking up every single supplement I needed. And I was like, selenium, vitamin A, iodine, the whole shebang, basically every nutrient that's available in foods. And I just, yeah. you just need a wider, maybe a um, biodiverse diet. And it doesn't have to be that massively complicated. It's just basically, I like I always try to say, is look at more what you can add in rather than take out of your diet, more and more nourishing foods. Uh, one food I did add in, which is probably going to be like, a tr- not a popular one was liver due to the uh, vitamin A content. Um, pretty sure it was it, it was great, I have to say. I didn't enjoy it, but uh, you know, I did really start to notice. There was one addition that I felt made big mm. significance to my energy levels. What I added in once or twice a week, max, a little bit. Um, and just a tip for anyone, you know, mince it in with say your beef bolognese or shepherd's pie, something like that. So you're not having just straight out liver, but it's a very bioavailable form of vitamin A. Organ meats in general are very nutritious dense we don't eat them much uh, they're not maybe the most palatable foods but they are very very nutritious and i do think there is some there is evidence and support to suggest that vitamin a is a really important um vitamin for your thyroid and it's found in a lot a lot in the likes of dairy products and and vitamin a and liver as well exactly and, and you kind of touched on that as well it's like you know mix it in with food get adventurous with your food and i think if you can kind of step away from the the viewer mentality that this d- disease is going to rob me of my life, which I'm sure you've seen with clients, I've seen that it's now that I have a disease, everything's up in the air, you know, I can't enjoy life. And it's like, no, actually, hold on, let's turn that around and start looking at this going, how do we include things and enjoy things? So it's like, okay, we know we might need to have some organ meat in there, but I'm like, what? Don't expect you to eat it straight. As you said, put it in, have some fun, try and find different ways to make some of these things more palatable and enjoyable. But then it also adds fun to the diet. If you're dieting and, you know, if you're maintaining, then you can have a little bit more fun doing other things. So it's like a lot of this can truly be easy for a person and there's no quick fix needed is just right how can i look at this from a frame of mind that's actually going to benefit me instead of being in a position where it's like it's more of a disservice in the long term than it is an actually a service 
Yeah, absolutely. I can I really I can relate to clients who felt like that because I felt like that. I was like, this is my life's over. 27, I'm on this gluten-free, dairy-free diet for the rest of my life. I got a thyroid condition for the rest of my life. And I, I still look back, I'm so incredibly grateful. Three years later now, I'm 30, 31 this summer. Like, and it's you know, I've been so so lucky and so grateful that everything has been fine in the last two three years you know but I really I was so weak I couldn't do any exercise it was very very it was a really debilitating condition and like I didn't think it would be so but it really took a lot out of me and mm. um, mentally physically and it's so overwhelming and you do think that this is you for the rest and I really did think that was it and my life was going to be miserable uh, but it was when I started looking at it in a little bit of a different way and um, more so adding in more things and reducing the stress and changing up the exercise that's when things um, started to to change. So um, I just want to give hope out there to people, basically. And based on everything that you're saying, like everything you're saying is common sense. And I wish I had heard that this back when I had a thyroid condition. Um, you know, because there wasn't, I've, I don't know, I thought there wasn't many people talking about it. It was very much the restrictive mentality. That's what I was hearing. And uh, I also, one thing I <laughs> I get annoyed about is, when people create diets as a quick fix to try and help things without ever actually finding the root cause. Oh, and yeah. we see this a lot of the time mm-hmm. and it, it, it drives me nuts. It's the person that comes to you saying, Hey, I want to diet, right. But is emotionally. And when I mean completely not in a position to be there, but then it's also the person who's been chronically exercising. I was like, now we can look at all the other symptoms. Like you are going to have low thyroid here. It's yeah the people that prey on the position you're in that you're in a vulnerable position and going right this is all the things you can do and it's like it really the advice should always be starting from a point of what was the root cause was this genetic based if this is genetic there is very little you can do from a diet and exercise perspective you can make it less of a problem mm-hmm. but it's still going to be there yeah it's like if we know it is genetic then we go right your mother had it or your father had it you know obviously if your father had it the less likely if you're a female that you're gonna have it if your mother had it the likelihood is higher yeah so it's like we need to recognize that so if we know that then we can go right we know it's a genetic factor now we already know what we need to do if we know it has been based on environmentally based now because we know the root factor we can actually take an approach that actually sees a change instead of actually adding more problems to what we're trying to do and it's always that aspect try not to add problems find the root cause and build from there yeah a hundred percent um let's just go into thyroid and pcos so you know i quite often would see them like i would consider it nearly like a type of PCOS some certain amount of people have a thyroid condition with their PCOS yeah. what is have you have you seen that yourself what's the connection um in a simplistic way if you can <laughs> explain <laughs> so, everything you've explained has been really simplified thank you so uh, like that kind of lines if you can because I know it's a lot more complicated but yes yeah, so let's try and break it down in a bit yeah. so like let's take and take it from and I'm going to take it under overall approach and say thyroid dysfunction right so thyroid dysfunction can include hyper and hypose and all their parts in between right so we often see it as like it's metabolic disorder right now when we see thyroid dysfunction we often see it with the likes of diabetes we see it the likes of cardiovascular diseases we often see the likes of obesity any kidney dysfunction 
but also with PCOS. And so the reason behind that is, so if we take a look at, say, with hypothyroidism, right, we see a worse a worsened control, or shall I say worsened is actually terrible English there. We see, um, obviously, as we spoke about, the, uh, the body's ability to regulate glucose goes down, right? So now we can see that if it, we've got a worse effect when it comes to glycemic control, so blood control and everything, we're often going to see diabetes potentially raising its head, right? So that's how we see from in terms of subclinical hypothyroidism and diabetes, right? So now when we put the two together and we get both thyroid dysfunction and diabetes, we see that we also have a potential to increase cardiovascular disease, which is not something you want to kind of go down either, right? So now when we see that as we get cardiac morphology, i.e. in the sense that we see things start changing, we start seeing adverse events in terms of coronary artery disease. We also start noticing that as that occurs, we see changes occur in the epithelial cells. We see the arteries start changing, right? And now when those arteries start to change, we often see stuff like dyslipidemia. So in terms of obviously fat levels going up and down, we often see the ability of weight gain increasing, right? Now, when we start noticing that and weight gain increasing, we can start seeing that as we go further and further down this level, as weight starts to increase, so do we start to see changes in obviously, you know, blood glucose control as well as, you know, fat control, we start seeing that TSH starts to plummet. So thyroid stimulating hormone. So when that starts to occur, we can start seeing that we actually start getting more thyroid dysfunction, right? Now, when we start linking that to PCOS, we can see that one of the abilities of PCOS is seeing a lowered function within thyroid. So we can start seeing that with the PCOS and, and thyroid together, that if you're having symptoms of PCOS, you're probably for the majority of people, unless you're in a lean PCOS, you're going to be a little bit overweight. You're going to have less control of your blood glucose. You're going to have less control of your uh, fats within the blood. And so we can start seeing that it's going to put a lot of pressure on the thyroid to try and keep up. Yeah. So if you want to think about it, it's you're effectively jamming your foot into the accelerator, expecting it to go quicker and quicker and quicker. And all you're doing is dumping more fuel into the engine. There is going to be a time you are going to run out. Yes. Okay. And that's the key in that aspect and where we see that link. So what ends up happening is one of the few steps in diagnosing PCOS is first diagnosing thyroid and ensuring that it's not hypothyroidism. Yeah. And then can we then go and check PCOS? Because the link, as you go further and further down that little ladder, as we're putting it, yeah. we get closer and closer to being either PCOS with a thyroid dysfunction or a thyroid dysfunction um, as a whole. Does that make a lot more sense or do I need to do that again? Yeah, no, I, I think it does um, anyway, but like, yeah, just like in your, do you, it's kind of like um, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, what what do you think? Or is it, the, it's probably very different per person. Like, do you think PCOS drives thyroid issue or is a thyroid issue driving PCOS or is a blood sugar dysregulation and issues with insulin sensitivity that's probably maybe a bit of both? And that's what I think is the hard one to think because I actually had a chat with a doctor and during the gym one day, like, of course I would have that. <laughs> uh, and we were talking about it as well from a standpoint in saying that a lot of what they assume is blood glucose 
in terms of and obviously dysregulation of the system as a whole that drives the PCOS and then drives the thyroid. And then I was like, but if we took it from a thyroid standpoint and put it as our first form of diagnosis, we already know that we go thyroid needs to be checked first and then PCOS. So if we go, it's only thyroid, we can go, well, clearly thyroid is playing a part in leading to a PCOS symptom. Yeah. But until we do more diagnosis on it, I'm still unsure of which one to fully say is the the true cause. Now I would definitely love to know. I would. Yeah. Because it means getting help for the person yeah. becomes quicker. Yeah. It becomes easier. The way we can already screen people and go like, right, okay, you're at a certain level of thyroid dysfunction. We can go, right, these are the symptoms that you're displaying. These, uh, This is the treatment plan and that we will ensure that no PCOS occurs. Or we could be the other way and say, right, we treat the PCOS. So we often see a change in thyroid. Yeah. So everyone goes, hey, look, it's the PCOS, the problem. Yeah. But what you're really doing with both is probably supporting insulin sensitivity which is having a benefit for both PCOS and thyroid so it is then quite difficult to to determine and the other thing there is when you're getting a diagnosis of say a thyroid issue do you recommend getting the antibodies tested as well to see if there's that autoimmune component Um, and then maybe like the protocol may be slightly different just for the start what do you think about that Um, she a very good idea, but very few people actually do it. I know, yeah. It's, I don't, I don't understand, especially in Ireland as a whole. When you go and get blood results, it's often you know try and do it as, or should I say, do as little as possible. Yeah. You know, it's like you go and get your thyroid done, and they go, "Oh, here's your TSH, T4, T3," and we're like, "Okay, what about the free unbound versions? Can we see a ratio between the two? Can you actually tell me about the antibodies?" And they go like. Why do you need that? Yeah, because you may have normal um, T4, TSH, T3, but you may have very elevated antibodies. And these are the antibodies that you mentioned that attack basically your your own gland and degrade it and try to destroy it. So it's important to get those say you're having some symptoms, ideally you'd be getting all of these done together, but often you have to fight for this and maybe you'll get them done if your rangers are out of range then, but say they're not, then you will never know because you don't, they don't test for them. I know. And that's the thing. It's like, if we do, because like it's, uh, if I remember correctly, TPO and TG, so it should be thyroid peroxidase and thyrogoblin. That's right. Yeah. Yes. I was like, geez, it's been a while since I've said those. So when you end up testing them, it's something that you're going to have to fight for, but it's also something that is going to be beneficial. If you're noticing you have other symptoms like autoimmune kind of aspects where you do have more edema type of things, you have more swelling around the joints, you feel achy around the joints, it's probably a good idea to force the um, antibody test. Pretty that it is, there's a lot of correlation in terms of that when the antibodies are attacking, it's often correlated with the symptoms of, you know, uh, autoimmune, so Graves or Hashimoto's. So it's something I do recommend people do if you're displaying symptoms. If it comes back and you still feel like there is something, then push further. But it's like, yeah, we're in a point where you have to fight for it to the point that I have to fight for it just to ask the doctor, can I get my testosterone? why are you taking steroids it's like no but am i not allowed to ask for my own levels yeah. it's like 
Especially when you're paying for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm getting like 101 questions. I'm going like, okay. And then like I asked him and I'm like, close your eyes. And he goes, what? And I was like, yeah, close your eyes. Tell me, what is your, you know, SHGB? Tell me, I'll feel bad of your head. Do you know? And he's like, how would I know that? I went, exactly. I went, you can only know when you actually get it tested. Yeah. So it's like, you're going to have to do that for a lot of things, especially in Ireland. I do recommend at least once a year going for a complete panel. And I mean, like spend about three-ish hundred, you can spend about three-ish hundred euro, depending on if you what all your testing, but go from not only all the liver and do the kidneys, you want to do your vitamins deficiencies. You want to see where obviously if for women, estrogen is man too. Yeah. But you also want to see in terms of SHBG, FSH, TSH, you want to see everything. Mm-hmm. And then what you can do is actually recognize that if you do it a year apart, what has changed? Yeah. If you do it six months and go like, actually, hold on. I saw that, for instance, TSH might have been a bit low. So yeah. you change your stress, yeah. work on that. Six months later, just get that test and see is it back into where it is. You've seen it increase. Great. Now you know you're in a better position. Yeah. Instead of doing the like, you know, jab and wait for one year and see what changes. And then you're like, crap. Yeah. What I've done is actually worse. So it's like, put a little bit into that fight with the doctor. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Again, like I feel like I have to prepare so many of my clients for that like conversations. Like you're going to have to ask for this. And, you know, they're like, oh, are you planning to to have children, for example? Because a lot, and I'm like, because I want to see their LH and FSH, but I just want to see that ratio. But again, they don't test that unless you ask for it. And then they think it's only for fertility. It was like, no, no, I want to know, like, is it their, for their PCOS or hey, is it hypothalamic amenorrhea or whatever? But um, yeah, it, it's really frustrating. <laughs> oh, I know. The amount of times, like even like I had a client there last week, come back with her results and the doctor was like, ah, you look fine. Come back with white blood count. Like I was just like, how are you walking? I was yeah, and I was just like, look, you know, I was like, oh, okay, you've got functional low um, uh, white blood counts. I was like, yeah, cool. I was like, you probably have anemia, yeah. and she was like, no, no, no. And I was just like, take a look at it. I was like, and as we step through and walk through, it, calls up the doctor, do I have anemia? Um, let me look. Waits two days to call back and goes, yes. I was like. It's like, I'm like, you can't do this to people. I know, I like, 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 great, she's working with you, but say for the person who doesn't have a coach, they said, wouldn't know anything about that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, where would you be? You would be, yeah. you'd be going, oh, my symptoms are just based because I'm getting older. And you're like, you shouldn't feel like you have to drag yourself to do things. You shouldn't yeah. feel brain fog every day. And it's like, these symptoms matter. And it's like, we've got to recognize that. I'm like, if you know your lifestyle is not aiding and making you better, I went, well, then something is to change. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Super stuff there. Um, with regards to say management of PCOS slash thyroid issues both together. Um, for me, I would have a pretty, you know, similar kind of, I mean, mm. nothing would change that drastically in terms of the approach, very much blood sugar control, more nutrients into the diet, anything you would, and, and looking at stress anything you would do differently if the two of them come together uh, predominantly actually no it's i always tackle the first part would always be thyroid i take thyroid first and then deal with pcos because uh, you're naturally going to be helping one by the fact of like i know you you've spoken about it before like with the nosotol for PCOS, we really don't see much of a change i am a big proponent of getting clients who have 
more high stress life or aspects of like that to do um cold therapy and just because the reason because uh cold therapy even spending 30 seconds in a cold shower reduces into leukin six so it's a inflammatory marker right so if we can just reduce that by just a little bit i went we're making things the nice thing as well is there's a positive aspect when it comes from once you get over that initial shock you start working on a bit of resilience and how can we hold this how can i lower my breath and it turns into a meditative practice for those that allow it so now not only are we using the cold water to reduce an inflammatory marker, but we're also using it as a way to lower overall body stress. And I went down with that, just kind of helps seal everything in for the people, which is nice. But being in the being in the same position, I'd rather jump into the sea than into a shower. Yeah, uh, I've actually, funny enough, I'm doing that myself at the moment is the cold water showers just for 30 seconds. <laughs> And um, based on that, lowering the eye at the interleukin six and just supporting the nervous system as well. Yeah. I think, it, as you say, builds resilience. Haven't got to the point where I'm meditative in it yet. <laughs> a bit of, bit of a, <laughs> like I, I get uh, a lot of them. I was like, right, put on put on a music, right, and get it just before the chorus because majority of us are like, Woo, and I went, and then as the chorus goes, step in and sing to it. And they were like, yeah. but I was like, sing to it. Because most choruses are going to last in around 20 to 30 seconds. Yeah, you're good. And then you start seeing that you're taking a, a disassociative approach to what you're feeling. So instead of trying to be there feeling everything, what you're doing is you're projecting yourself to something else that actually takes you away from feeling that. Yeah. And then as that occurs, you start noticing, you start actually just relaxing into it. So it's the same when you see people doing endurance or should I say females do an endurance because men really don't really do this as much, which is say you're making a marathon, you run and go, right, one more pole to the end of the street, you know, around the block, you keep, you know, pushing it off. You will disassociate from it where men are more associative. If I finish this, I could eat a burger. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, we know when you push it off, that kind of kind of delay gratification you tend to relax you tend to just modulate yourself into the practice and get part of it so it's like use that within your meditations but also just use that in your cold therapy and oh more yeah tenders. that's great I, I love that it's another practical piece of advice for anyone I think it's a good a good thing to add in for most people anyway I mean it's it's going to benefit you um there is I think it's 30 seconds is what they say is the research to say that it helps um and there's so many benefits it even helps with the likes of low libido and things like that too so great for supporting uh your hormones your nervous system your stress management so definitely give it a go um to help you on your thyroid and PCOS and all of that other stuff so um yeah I, I'm so I think we've covered a lot there and I'm really happy like with everything that we went through there like it's so helpful and it's great to hear that again we're I just know you're such an expert in it so it's good to know that we're actually um coming off singing off the same hymn sheet like so it, it's um you know great that we're both supporting clients in the best way that we can and what the, with the evidence that's out there um so is there anything you'd like to add at the end anything you'd like to say um for thyroid based things just something i know obviously europe is not it doesn't use it as much 
But for any of the US-based and anyone who happens to have long-term bipolar disorder, just something to kind of think about is that the lithium um, can kind of make hypothyroidism a lot worse, right? And the mechanism is still trying to be understood, but we often see that we, when it high levels of lithium within you know, the body, we often see a massive crash in hypothyroidism. So we see that the thyroid hormones need to then increase their secretion to try and match up for this. Now, the interesting thing is we see it happens anywhere between, I think the last time I checked was about 3% to, it kind of gets up to a high of around 52% of people on lithium, but it depends on how you look at the study and run the study. So it is just something as a precautionary tale that if you happen to be bipolar and taking high amounts of lithium, you might need to get your thyroid checked a little bit more often just to make sure that you are not putting yourself into a hypothyroid state because there's nothing worse than having the position of having to go ups and downs and then you're actually having ups and downs as well as with your own hormones so it's yeah. just something to kind of note on but otherwise i think like we've covered quite a bit actually yeah we've got a lot covered a lot sorry and you really helped to break it down in a really simplistic way so really appreciate that as well but um for people who would like to check out your your page or where you work and what you do, um, do you want to just give some uh, information? So uh, predominantly at the moment um, for I work with, as you mentioned, Shane Walsh Fitness. So I'm a coach there. Um, so basically helping you achieve whatever you want. And as kind of just like MJ, it's like when it comes to nutrition side, it's trying to help support whatever you're going through at the time. On my personal side, I work pretty much with those who happen to have issues when it comes to their binge eating or anorexia, when it comes to regulating the emotions, when you feel that you just don't know what to do, you get that uncomfortable pit in your belly and you're like, I don't know how to regulate this. And the only thing I can think of is a purge or a binge. So I spend most of my time teaching those the skills and the tools to help overcome that. So if any of those is of interest to you, find me at the Define, so Define by SD on Instagram, or you can literally just send me an email at Stephen at Define by SD. Other than that, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Really, really great chat. I really enjoyed this uh, episode. I hope everyone else enjoys it. Um, this, if, you, if you do enjoy it, please leave a review on iTunes and I will be back next week with another episode. But thank you again, Stephen, and I will chat to you soon. Absolute pleasure.